Hello and welcome to this episode of the Complete Interpreter podcast. The podcast where I talk about interpreting skills, mindset, and I generally put off talking about marketing because there's always something else more urgent that I want to discuss. I am Sophie Llewellyn-Smith, otherwise known on social media as The Interpreting Coach. And today I want to share with you a short episode in which I'm going to talk about two tricks, if you like, two fun techniques to help you work on your retour if you have a B language. Now, let me tell you a very brief story about my retour. This is the potted history, really. As you can hear, I am English speaking. I grew up speaking English, but I also grew up speaking French because my mother is French. I went to a French school, I have a French baccalaureate, but I then went to a British university and I trained as an interpreter in the English unit at the European Commission in Brussels. At that point, I really stopped speaking French, except in the shops in Brussels. And so my French became very, very passive. And it wasn't until years later that I decided to actively work on my retour and try and add a retour, which I did in, I think it must have been 2014, when I was on a temporary contract with um, the European Commission. And so I worked on adding a consecutive French retour, which was quite hard work, but it was also very interesting and stimulating. And for me, psychologically, it was a great thing to do because it reconnected me to that part of me that is French and French speaking. It also made me think quite hard about how you can work effectively on adding a B language or improving your retour. And I guess that's partly why I'm so fascinated with retour training and why that is 95% of what I do. But of course, what I do is working with people who have an English retour. So I work with clients, coaching clients, and uh, people who attend my group classes who have, as an A language, Polish, Czech, Lithuanian, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, etc. And they are all working into English. Now, just to come back to when I added my retour on paper for the EU institutions, what I found entertaining about that is that I took a test to add the consecutive retour and I passed that test and and that in itself was quite uh, interesting and humbling to go back to that phase of your life where you have to take an exam and be told whether you're good enough or not so that took me back to my recruitment test when I finished training and also to my university exams I suppose Anyway, as I said, I passed the test and they said to me at the time, you've passed this test, congratulations, uh, but, and they said in French, <clears throat> vous êtes loin de pouvoir envisager uh, la simultanée en français. In other words, don't even think about doing simultaneous into French yet. You're a long way from, from being capable of doing that. Uh, so that was a bit of a slap in the face for someone who had grown up speaking French. And I'm sure you can see that I have quite a lot of um, quite a lot of complexes about my French. So anyway, I thought, OK, I can't, can't do simultaneous, but I'm allowed to do consecutive. At which point they started putting me in the odd meeting where I was going to work bi-actively in both directions between English and French. And typically these ended up being high level meetings between ministers and commissioners usually. And also typically, 
these people did not want me to do full consecutive with a notepad, taking notes and then do, doing a, a proper consecutive. What they wanted was for me to do whispering interpreting. They wanted chuchotage because it's faster. But chuchotage, for anyone who's done it, uh, any of you will realise that chuchotage is doing simultaneous. So having been told that I could not do simultaneous, they then put me in bilateral meetings where I was effectively doing simultaneous, which I found very ironic, <laughs> but never mind. But it was just a handful of meetings because I am much more valuable as an English booth interpreter who has French, German and Greek in their combination than as a biactive English-French interpreter. Why? Because they have a whole French booth uh, that's brilliant at doing English into French. So why would they want an English booth person who is not so good at doing English into French, but who is extremely useful uh, as a relay, as a pivot, doing Greek into English, let's say. So for that reason, I hardly used my retour at that point. And then I came back to the UK in 2015 and I was commuting to Brussels every so often for work. And for the reasons I've just outlined, I basically never used my retour. And the last time I used it for a paid assignment was just before COVID, actually. I think it was the last meeting I did before COVID, which was a mission to Manchester. Now, I felt I could not refuse that when I was offered it because I only live about an hour and a half away from Manchester. <laughs> it's just down the road from me. It was a two day consecutive meeting. Uh, English-French, and it was a very interesting topic because it was about young people and contraception. So I had to scrabble to learn all kinds of um, interesting <laughs> vocabulary in French that I had not been using in my work for the EU institutions. So that is the slightly sad history of my retour into French. It's always left me feeling as if there was something missing and every so often the idea bubbles up that I should reactivate my French retour and that I want to get back to it but there's always some other priority which is more more urgent. However recently for reasons I won't go into I decided that yes the time had come for me to do some work on my retour and uh, dust it off, polish it up and make it more usable and marketable. So that was quite interesting, going back to actively and intensively trying to improve my French retour. And I started doing all the things that I tell my own clients and students to do and all the things that would seem pretty obvious, I think, to anyone who's working on a retour. For example, I started listening to podcasts in French and reading the news in French, reading background information on relevant topics and writing down useful phrases. I'm sure you do all of those things. But I also realised that there were at least two things that I could do differently from 10 years ago or whenever it was, nine years ago, thanks to new technologies. And I thought maybe it'd be nice to share those two things with you in case you haven't yet discovered them. Now, it may be that you do these things and have been doing them for about five years and I'm totally behind the times but it's only a short podcast if that's the case you can just you can just switch it off or you won't have wasted too much time listening to me alternatively it may be that you simply have not yet discovered these methods or they haven't occurred to you as they didn't really occur to me and maybe you will find out something new and exciting here we go 
The first thing that I've been doing, or maybe I should say doing differently, is site translation. Now, I very often advise people to use site translation for all sorts of reasons. Personally, I find it a difficult and frustrating exercise, but I do think it's a useful exercise as well, because if you do site translation regularly, you come across structures in the language that come up again and again. And so it's a good way of trying to find a sort of go-to solution. And it means you can develop automatic reflexes in your B language so that whenever you hear a particular turn of phrase, oh, you know how to deal with that. Or you know, for example, that you need a longer decalage because you can't just leap in. I'm thinking, for example, of uh, clauses that begin with si in French, that begin if. If you immediately say if in English, there's a chance that you will get it wrong because clauses that begin with si in French don't always mean if. Sometimes they mean uh, while or whereas or something like that. So I think site translation can be good for that. It can be a good way to do some interference busting because you have a bit more time to think than you do if you're interpreting speech. So you can read the text, think about it, and deliberately avoid following the sentence structure or saying something too literal. So anyway, site translation has a lot of uses. But if you do it to work on your retort, it has one big downside, which is that you can do your site translation, record yourself on a recording device, listen back to yourself, try and identify places where you don't sound particularly convincing or natural. And then the thing is, you need to try and come up with some better solutions. And if you don't have a native speaker there to help you come up with good solutions, that's not always straightforward. Sometimes you can only really think of one way to say things or you, you can't come up with the best idiomatic expression. And so sight translation is great if you have a tame native speaker to help you out, but it can be harder if you don't have a tame native speaker to help you out. And by the way, I think sight translation is a misnomer anyway. It should really be called sight interpreting because translation, I think, might give the impression that we're trying to polish the output into a a perfect version, which is not at all what we're trying to do. We are trying to read, maybe read through a text in our heads once and then launch into a rendition of it in the target language with very little thinking time. And we're trying to keep the output smooth as if we were interpreting a speech rather than a text. So there is a problem if you don't have a native speaker to help you. And I was doing some site translation a couple of weeks ago um, in paragraphs. I didn't do a whole massive chunk in one go. I was just doing one paragraph, recording myself, thinking about it and trying to come up with better ways to word the output. And then I thought, uh, why don't I just put it through DeepL or Google Translate? So I did that. I put it through the machine translation and I looked at the output and I was interested to find that the output suggested words or turns of phrase that I could usefully incorporate into my work. So in that sense, the use of something like DeepL or Google Translate can partially compensate for the lack of a tutor or coach or practice partner who's a native speaker of your B language or who has 
uh, very strong skills in your B language. Now, don't get me wrong, we all know that machine translation isn't perfect. And in particular, I find that in terms of the structure of the sentence, it tends to produce something very literal. So I'm not saying that you should take that output and go, oh, this is the perfect version and this is what I should be saying. However, I think that sometimes if you run your text, as long as it's not confidential, through something like DeepL, it will come up with some words, some terms that you might be able to incorporate into your output and it can be pretty helpful. So I suppose what I'm saying is not so much that the machines are replacing us in this case, but that the machines can be a useful tool to enhance the work that we're doing, or as I said, to offset the absence of a native speaking, native speaking, that's not right, a native speaker of your B language who can be your practice partner or your coach. Right, that was technique one, um, site translation. Technique two involves flashcards. You, you may well have used flashcards when learning a passive language, a C language, for example, or maybe you used flashcards at university if you had to remember facts. I have, I used flashcards when I did a master's degree in nutrition, actually, I remember. And also when I did some qualifications in anatomy and physiology. Not so much at university because learning languages, it wasn't very, um, it wasn't very fact-based. But anyway, you may, you may have used flashcards, you may not. I had not used them for years, not having added a C language myself. But recently I was trying to think of ways to help my daughter with some of her homework. And I thought, oh, if she had some flashcards in biology and chemistry and physics, that would help her with her revision. And instead of laboriously writing out the flashcards on a small piece of card, why not make it all a bit more fun and exciting with some kind of app? Now, I had been familiar with flashcard apps like Anki and Quizlet for a while. I just hadn't used them myself or hadn't used them extensively myself. So I thought, hey, I will have a go with Anki. And I started there and I didn't really like the interface, the yeah, I wasn't very keen on the look and feel of the thing. I wanted something very intuitive, very quick, but also with powerful features. So I zipped over to Quizlet and that I found super fun to use. You can set it up in less than five minutes. There's a free version as there always is with these apps or pieces of software. And you can just start creating flashcards. But the fun thing about the flashcards is a, that you can add useful information to them. So for example, you can very easily record a little bit of audio on your flashcard, meaning that if you are preparing a flashcard to help you work on a B language, you can put in a bit of audio to help you remember how to pronounce that word, for example. You can also add images, by the way, and all kinds of things. The other thing I like about Quizlet is that you can use the flashcards in multiple different ways. So for example, you can use them as a matching game where it will display several flashcards, the front and the back, and you have to match the ones that go together. So if you don't know the material very well, 
then that will help you match. That's not how I used them. What I was interested in was using the flashcards to try to develop very rapid reflexes so that as soon as I saw a word on a flashcard, I would immediately think of an alternative in my B language, which is French. And of course, since this is an app, it has some kind of algorithm behind it. And as you use the flashcards, you can swipe on them if you're using your mobile phone to show whether you feel you know it very well or you need more work on it. And then the, your computer or your mobile will keep displaying the cards that you don't know more frequently than the cards that you do know. So that was, that was quite fun, actually. It was relatively quick to set up my flashcards. What I found that I was doing was simply going to my Excel spreadsheet where I had written down some vocabulary. As it happens, I had some vocabulary about salmon farming in Scotland and I had some vocabulary about whiskey distilling. And you, I was just copy pasting the words onto first the front and then the back of the flashcard and I could create a whole set on a particular topic and Bob's your uncle. Then I realised that there was even a faster and more efficient way of doing this because Quizlet has an import function. So all you need to do is just copy paste two whole columns of your Excel spreadsheet. So the English column for all the vocabulary for salmon farming and at the same time the French column and you just paste the whole lot into the import box on Quizlet and you press submit, whatever the button is called, and it will then create whatever it is, 35 flashcards out of that Excel spreadsheet in one go. So it's extremely fast. And I thought that was a pretty good tool, actually, for immediate recall, for trying to come up with things very quickly. So for me, that's a good way of preparing for, for a meeting. And as I said, you can also use audio. So instead of or alongside having a word on the flashcard, you could put audio, which more closely mimics what's happening when you're listening to something and then having to interpret it. There we are. These are very simple techniques. These may be things that you're already doing. Uh, you may already be using Quizlet. So I'm probably preaching to the converted with many of you. <clears throat> but for me, these two fun techniques represented a, a change compared to what I was doing 10 years ago. And that is thanks to new technology, machine translation, advances in AI, etc., etc. So while, of course, I'm not saying uh, that you can substitute everything <laughs> with a machine, I think if we can use the technology to help us be more efficient, why not? And that being the case, I did just want to mention in case you have not seen this announcement on social media, that Josh Goldsmith of Tech Forward has partnered up with a language teaching or language learning specialist, uh, Kirsten Cable, and together they have launched a membership site to help you learn languages more efficiently thanks to modern technologies. So I just wanted to mention their AI Language Club and I'll put the link in the show notes in case you're interested in joining that language club where you'll get weekly tips, it'll be packed with interesting ideas 
not just efficient, but fun. So I wanted to mention that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was for those of you who have an English retour and who want to continue working on your English retour, don't forget that I have a membership site called Rock Your Retour with a website packed with tailor-made articles about particular aspects of the English language that are problematic for tourists and how you can tackle those when you're interpreting. And we also do weekly live group classes on a Friday where people interpret and I give them feedback and they get feedback from the other participants as well. That was this week's podcast. I hope you found it useful. I would love to hear your tips for fun ways to keep working on your retour. Please also let me know what you'd like me to talk about next. If you go to the show notes, you'll find that there's a link that you can click on so that you can fill in this tiny little form to let me know what you'd like me to talk about. It literally only has one question. What would you like me to talk about next? That's it for today. Wishing you a very good and productive week. Bye.